reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices, so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dead or alive? What say you, dear ones? Pilate had learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead. I don't claim to be any sort of historian, not even an amateur one. But I've read a good bit about crucifixion and especially about Jesus' crucifixion. And I am under the direct impression that the Romans were pretty darn good at torture and death. Even more, they were particularly good at keeping an insurgent a criminal or a slave, a person like Jesus alive so that they could prolong the torment that that person was undergoing. The cross, in fact, was a chosen instrument of torture first, not just of execution. So because the Romans tended to want to keep the tortured person alive as long as possible, so that he could experience as much pain as possible, Pilate wanted to ensure that Jesus was actually dead before he released Jesus' body to Joseph of Arimathea. Pilate absolutely could not make the mistake of giving Jesus a chance to walk back into Jerusalem after a couple of years of rehab. Pilate is put in this situation because Joseph has come to him to ask for Jesus' body. Joseph was a member of the ruling council and knew that that body could not remain on the tree during the Sabbath. He was a respected man who apparently had audience with the Roman governor. Joseph was a rich man who could afford a tomb that would have a large stone to roll in front of its narrow entrance. It seems certain to me that Joseph of Arimathea, who gave up his own tomb, believed Jesus to be dead. 
If we read Mark's story through the eyes of a skeptic, we might suspect that Joseph is trying to pull a fast one on Pilate and the temple leadership. That perhaps he wants to get Jesus' body before Jesus has come really dead, nurse him back to health. But Pilate must have suspected that as well. And Pilate won't allow that. He calls in the Roman centurion. The centurion had been there. He watched our Lord die. He had seen and heard the chief priests and scribes as they mocked Jesus. He had watched as those who were crucified behind, beside him mocked and taunted him. He heard Jesus make a loud cry and saw and heard Jesus as he painfully drew his last breath and exhaled his life. He saw Jesus die. The centurion saw Jesus as Jesus succumbed to the strangulation caused by no longer being able to push himself up with his legs so that he could breathe. By being so weak, he couldn't support his body to draw a breath. The centurion saw Jesus' body fall slack as his breath and his life left him. Mark tells us this about the centurion. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was God's son. We can ascertain from that sentence that Jesus' death greatly affected this man. And that he was certain Jesus was dead. For the centurion speaks of who Jesus was. Not is. Pilate called the centurion to him. The centurion who had seen Jesus breathe his last in such a dramatic way that he understood Jesus to be more than some common criminal. Clearly, Jesus' death affected him in some deep manner that completely disallowed the possibility that he would be mistaken as to whether Jesus was dead or alive. The text presents him as being certain that Jesus had breathed his last. And the centurion brings that certainty into Pontius Pilate's presence. The absolute certainty of a person who was proficient in creating death. A person who was a death expert. His testimony convinces Pilate. And so Pilate grants the body to Joseph. Joseph's conviction that Jesus was dead led him to wrap the body in linen, to lay the body in his own tomb, and to roll the very large stone in front of and against the very small entrance to the tomb, all of which took tremendous effort. Mary and Mary and Solomon saw where the body of Jesus was laid. They made note of it so they could return at the earliest moment possible to anoint Jesus' body properly. They couldn't anoint Him when He was placed in the tomb, for dusk was upon them. And for the devout Jew, dusk begins. The Sabbath begins at dusk on Friday and ends at dusk on Saturday. Rubbing spices in the body 
of a dead corpse, rubbing spices into Jesus' body to prevent the stench of K would be considered work. And so they could not do it until Saturday night at the earliest. These women who had witnessed Jesus' crucifixion were convinced that Jesus was dead and that He was going to stay dead. It seems to me that the actions of the characters in this story, Pontius Pilate, the centurion, Mary, Mary, and Salome, confirmed that Jesus was indeed dead. Graveyard dead. What none of them knew is that God was going to roll the stone away. As if God were prying the cap off the bottle of death. And raise Jesus to life. Seeing the tomb open, the women entered it. To their right, they saw a young man dressed in white. And they were alarmed, Mark says. To which I feel required to respond, you think? It's not every day one goes to the grave of a loved one to find the grave open, the body missing, and an angel sitting on the tombstone waiting to tell you where the previously dead person has gone. They're going to meet you at Grumpy Brothers for lunch, he would say. And we would be alarmed as well. They were alarmed. Their thoughts, their intentions, their whole purpose at that moment was wrapped up in the reality that Jesus of Nazareth was dead and they were going to put spices on his body to keep him from stinking. They weren't taking him a change of clothes or a change of underwear. They were coming to the tomb of a dead man. Their sense of reality was challenged by an open door, no body, and an angel who seemed to be waiting for them to tell them he is risen. He has been raised. He is not here. He has gone to Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he will meet y'all there just as he told you. This shift in reality terrified them so that they were seized by trembling and amazement. Dear ones, we've buried enough folks to know that dead bodies stay dead. How would we react were we to go to place flowers at a grave find the grave and vault open and an angel waiting for us. I find these women's reactions to be very appropriate, to be very real and to be very comforting. Because it's a real reaction. It's not the reaction that someone would create if he were looking to fabricate a lie. If Mark were simply looking to make up the resurrection story so he could sell a lot of books at the Christian bookstore and buy a fancy new donkey, he would not have used women as his prime witnesses. Women were viewed as completely unreliable witnesses by his culture. Notice I didn't say by me. By his culture. They couldn't even tell somebody what had happened and it be considered truthful. 
The fact that Mark has them come to the tomb and be recipients of the angel's news that Jesus has been raised tells me that it must have happened that way. One scholar puts it this way, Given that age's suspicion of the testimony of women, the most plausible explanation for why Mark has women discover the empty tomb is that it happened that way. No one would have invented this story in this form. The social situation of these women has the same sort of certainty to the actual being alive of Jesus that the Roman centurion's certainty added that he was dead. Their social situation, the fact that they were not allowed to be witnesses, has the same certainty to Jesus being alive that the Roman soldier's credibility adds to his being dead. From as early as we know, Christians gathered for worship on the first day of the week, not the Jewish Sabbath. Given the centrality of the Sabbath in Jewish life and teaching, this seems a more remarkable fact than we give it credit for. Something important would have to trigger such a change. And the explanation early Christians constantly offer is that they were honoring the day of Jesus' resurrection which at least suggests the discovery of an empty tomb on an early Sunday morning, just as Mark describes. And so we gather this and every Sunday to honor the day of Jesus' resurrection by worshiping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But why? We weren't there. We didn't see the open tomb. Can we accept the trembling of the women? The use of women as witnesses? The shift in the day of worship? The finding of an empty tomb? Can we accept these things as certain witnesses that Jesus is, not was? The fact that we are here means that Mary and Mary and Salome must have eventually told the disciples and Peter what they had seen and heard. Tradition tells us that most of Jesus' original disciples were put to death for their conviction that Jesus was alive and that He was the Messiah. Otherwise, they certainly would have renounced their faith in Him to keep from being put to death. Why would someone die for such a lie? Why would someone allow themselves to be put to death for claiming that a once dead man was now alive if it wasn't true? There was no money or power for them to gain. They weren't going to be pastoring mega churches, driving sports cars, and building multi million dollar houses. They were going to be killed. Their reward was to be put to death. But still they preached that Christ was alive. Still they stood before those who had the power to kill them and said, Jesus has been raised. Why would anybody do that for someone who they knew was dead? 
Is he dead or alive? What do you say? There's no more important question than that. As the Apostle Paul tells us, is, tells us, if Christ is dead, our faith is futile. It's in vain. For we're still dead in sin. Dear ones, it's simply not possible for us to have faith in a dead man. Is he dead or alive? What is the answer that you feel in your heart today? Do you sense that Jesus is alive? Does that phrase, Jesus is alive, cause a spark of joy in you? Does it make you want to lift your voice and say yes? Ephesians 2.8 tells us that faith is a gift from God. It's not something we can muster on our own. The best evidence we can have that Christ is alive is that faith lives in us. The faith that God has given us. It's faith that sparks that joy in your heart as you consider the question and say yes. Our faith, no matter how small it may seem to us, is a witness by God's Holy Spirit to our spirit that the Son of God is alive. I ask this in all sincerity. What sense would it make for me to stand before you and preach faith in a dead man? What sense would it make for God to call me to this life? What sense would it make for God to call you to be here today to have faith in a dead man? Why would God put faith in our heart in someone who doesn't exist anymore? What sense would it make for God to give us faith in a dead person? Is Jesus dead or alive? Is he a figure from the past? Or is Jesus the living, reigning, present Son of God who for us and our salvation came down from heaven, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered, died, was buried, and on the third day rose again. This day I say to you that I believe that Jesus is alive and that the resurrected Jesus is both Christ and Lord. I am committed to living a life that reflects the difference that knowing the risen Christ makes. And my prayer is that you feel the same. What do you say? Is Jesus dead or alive? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.